Happy St. Patrick's Day. You're listening to Equip, the preaching ministry of First Baptist Dry Prong in Dry Prong, Louisiana. Today's a special message about the life and goal of St. Patrick. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. I'm going to come to you tonight from a little short passage of Scripture. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I guess everybody has their own set of heroes. And as a Christian, as, as a minister, if I was to have one in the Bible, mine would probably be the Apostle Paul. It's just amazing that, that this man was able to accomplish all that he was able to accomplish. How he was able to go to these different cultures and plant churches and see the lost come to know Christ. And not everybody listened to Paul. I know that. But I just I look at the life of Paul and I always wonder, man, what was it? What can I learn from him? What was his method of evangelism? I don't have to have it all. I mean, of course, he was an apostle and I'm not. But the same Holy Spirit in him is the same in me and the same in you. What was it about his ministry? How was he able to evangelize the lost so well? Oddly enough, Paul was criticized by, by other Christians back in the day. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul kind of gives a defense for his method of evangelism. And I think we can really take a hint in verses 19 through 22 of Paul's method of evangelism. This is what he says to the Corinthian church. He says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law as under the law, so that I might win those who were under the law. To those who are without the law as without the law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now I do this, now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. You read this and you see a few things, or at least I do. First off, I see that Paul's apostleship didn't get into his head. He said, although I'm free from all men, I've made myself a servant to everybody. I'm going to serve the needs of the people. I see that he's motivated. His motivation was key. I'll be honest, a lot of times I believe the reason we don't evangelize and the reason we don't see people come to Christ is because we're not motivated to do it. Maybe as a parent, we're more motivated for our family, our children, or our our parents. But Paul here was motivated for everybody, for the Jews and Gentiles alike. But also you see here that Paul says in verse 22, I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. When you really study the life of Paul, at least as much as, as I have, which is not near as much as some, I see Paul going into a culture and assimilating, trying to think like they think and get in a, an opportunity to share the gospel. 
There's instances where Paul says, hey, they're not eating meat, and I know I can eat meat, that's okay, but I'm going to abstain from it out of love for them that I may win the more. There's a, an example in Acts chapter 17 where Paul is in Athens, and Paul sees a, a statue to an unknown God, and, and Paul doesn't believe in these polytheistic Greek gods. But he takes that as an opportunity. He knows they do. And he goes, hey, there's a statue to an unknown God here. Let me tell you about the God you don't know. And I do. You see, too many, too many times, I think, and I may be wrong, but I think too many times that we go into a situation and we try to change the worldview rather than trying to change the soul. If we took Paul's approach and we look at things from their worldview if they can accept the gospel, well, Christ will change the worldview. I want to share with you tonight a story about a man who picked up this model. And this model just paid dividends for his evangelism to a pagan nation. And today is mostly a Christian nation. The day we celebrate, we celebrate his namesake, Friday. March 17th. You know what day it is? It's the day we all associate with wearing green. And maybe you associate it with corned beef and cabbage. When I was flying, I got to go to different cities. And I'm amazed. Down here, we go crazy about Mardi Gras. But up north, places like Chicago, they paint a whole uh, river green. I was in Pittsburgh one time, and they had a great big parade going on. And it was for St. Patty's Day. That day's become way more than it was ever intended to. And so many people celebrate that day or wear green and think about the Irish, but they don't think about the inspiring Christian origin and missional impulse behind what we now mark as St. Patrick's Day. Today, it's become a day of all things Irish. The, the clovers and the corned beef and the cabbage and all that stuff like I mentioned. But the original feast... The original feast was about what we just read about. It was about advancing the gospel. It was not about parades, but about pioneering the church among an unreached people group. It was not about lifting linen restrictions on eating and drinking, but bringing God's amazing grace to a pagan nation. The day is observed March 17th every year. And it remembers Patrick as the one who led the 5th century Christian mission to Ireland. Now, Ireland, unlike Britain, was beyond the bounds of the Roman Empire. The Irish were considered as uncivilized barbarians, and many thought their illiteracy and volatile emotionalism put them outside the reach of the gospel. We can't go there. But as we just read, what would Paul's attitude be? Paul's attitude would be, no, I'll become all things to all people. And Patrick knew better. It was a strange and beautiful turn of providence. He spent six years among the Irish as a captive. And in that time, he learned their language and developed a heart for the Irish. His story is much like Joseph, who was sold into slavery and ended up saving Egypt and his brothers. Just like that, God sent Patrick into slavery to ready Ireland for a coming salvation. Patrick was born, the best we can figure, around 385 A.D. 
in what is now Northeast England. He was born among the Celtic Britons, a Romanized family of Christians. His father was a deacon, and his grandfather was a priest. But like so many of us know today, that didn't take with Patrick. And some other writers, they say that Patrick lived towards the wild side. He knew about his parents' faith, but he didn't share it. But God found him when, after he was kidnapped at age 16 by Irish raiders and taken back to Ireland, where he served as a slave for six years under a tribal chief who was also a Druid. So here he is, he's 16 year old, 16 year old, he's taken into slavery, serving as a Druid. And while he was there, God opened his eyes to the gospel of his childhood. It was as a captive, he came to understand the Irish Celtic people and their language and culture with the kind of intuitive that's usually possible only from somebody on the inside. He eventually escaped from slavery, and he escaped a Christian now. And he went back to Britain, and he studied for the ministry, and he ended up leading a parish in Britain for 20 years. He had a successful ministry for 20 years, being an escaped slave. Now, that would be a pretty awesome story. Somebody going to slavery, somebody finding Jesus, then going back, and then spending 20 years at the ministry, in the ministry. But that wasn't the end of the story. At age 48, an age already past the life expectancy of somebody in that century, Patrick records having a dream, which proved to be his own version of the Macedonian call in Acts 16.9. In that dream, he recounts that he heard an Irish accent plead with him, We appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us. Well, Patrick, having known the language and the customs from his captivity and long having strategized about how the gospel might come to the Irish, he now answered the call to return to the place of his pain with the message of joy. The slave returned to his captors with the good news of true freedom. But this wouldn't be no ordinary mission. The Irish Celtics were considered barbarians, like we said earlier, as the Romans were prone to consider anyone not Roman. The Irish may have had a few Christians among them, but they were an unreached people group with no thriving church or gospel movement. And what Patrick did, he took a different and controversial approach to the prevailing missionary efforts of the post-apostolic early church. You see, instead of Romanizing the people and seeking to civilize them with respect to Roman customs, he wanted to see the gospel penetrate deeply into the Irish culture and produced an indigenous movement. He didn't go to colonize the Irish. He didn't go to pave a Roman road. He didn't go to change their dress. He just wanted to evangelize them. In the book Celtic Evangelism, the author, last name Hunter, wrote this, the fact that Patrick understood the people and their language, their issues and their waves serves as the most strategically significant single insight that was to drive the wider expansion of Celtic Christianity and stands as perhaps our greatest single learning from this movement. 
There's no shortcut to understanding the people. When you understand the people, you will know what to say and do and how to do it. When the people know that the Christian understands them, they infer that maybe, just maybe, the high God they serve understands them too. And see, Patrick knew from his years in slavery, he knew the Irish well enough to engage them where they were and build authentic gospel bridges into their society and culture. He wanted to see the gospel grow in Irish soil rather than pave it with the Roman road. He saw things like their belief that ultimate reality is complex and their fascination with rhetorical triads and the number three opened them to Christianity's triune God. Christianity's contrasting features of idealism and, and practically engaged identical traits in the Irish character. No other religion could have engaged the Irish people's love for heroism, stories, and legends like Christianity. Some of Christianity's values and virtues essentially masked or fulfilled ideals in Irish piety and folklore. Irish Christianity was able to deeply affirm and fulfill the Irish love for nature and their belief in the closeness of the divine. One of the things Patrick is said to have done was pick up a, a clover or a shamrock. And he showed them how there was three blades in that, that clover. And how although there was three blades, there was one stem. And that's like the God we serve. One stem made up of three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But there's another notable approach to his ministry. I read this and I just keep going back. It sounds just like Paul becoming all things to all men. But something else that Patrick did was that he did not go solo to Ireland. He went with the team, just as Jesus sent out his disciples together in Luke 10.1. And Paul and Barnabas went out together in Acts 13.3. So Patrick also assembled a close-knit crew that would tackle the work together. In the same location, laboring for the founding of a church before moving together to the next tribe, it was a group approach to apostolic ministry. And we don't have all the records of his ministry teams and strategies, but from a handful of source, sources, we can piece together an outline of a typical approach, which varied from one time and setting to another. His teams would have about a dozen members. They would approach a tribe's leadership and seek conversion or at least clearance and set up camp nearby. The team would meet the people, engage them in conversation and in ministry, and look for people who appeared receptive. In due course, one band member or, no, or another would probably join with each responsive person to reach out to relatives and friends. They would minister weeks and months among them, eventually pursuing baptisms and the founding of a church. After that church was founded, they would leave behind a team member or two to provide leadership for the fledging church and move with the convert or two to the next tribe. With such an approach, the church that, em that emerged within the tribe would have been astonishingly indigenous. Now that sounds awesome. And I hear that, I'm like, man, what an what a awesome thing to do. And I read the account of Paul, what an awesome thing to do. But you know, while, that was, while we celebrate that today, and perhaps we even model this kind of mission today, 1,500 years later, his contemporaries were not impressed with him. The British leaders were offended and angered that Patrick was spending priority time with pagans, sinners, and barbarians. 
But Patrick knew such an approach had good precedent. The one who saved him while he was a nominal Christian and Irish captive was once called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And he also said in Mark 2.17, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So this Friday the 17th, remember Patrick. According to tradition, he died March 17th. Many think it was the year 461, but we don't know for certain. And celebrations will leave much to be forgotten. But for those of us that love Jesus and the advance of his gospel, there's some good things to remember about Patrick. Here's the fruits from St. Patrick's 29 years in ministry after being a minister in Britain for 20 years. He ministered there for 29 years, and in 29 years, he baptized over 100,000 people and built 300 churches. So listen, if we can get it in our minds that we can be world changers too by ministering to others, either bringing them to the Lord or helping others grow in their faith, then we will also have a legacy to pass on. Some neat things that I bet you didn't know about St. Patrick, or maybe you did. And here's the thing, I don't know all of St. Patrick's theology. I'm sure we, disagree, we would disagree on many things. But I see his approach to evangelism, and I read 1 Corinthians 19, 9, 19-22, and I see him becoming all things to all people. He didn't want to change the Irish. He wanted Jesus to change them. And I go back and I read, and one of the things I read a few semesters ago when I first started seminary, I had to take this class called Christian Literature. And man, I didn't want to take that class. I'm like, this is going to be horrible. But one of the things we studied, and maybe y'all have heard of it too, it's called St. Patrick's Breastplate. And there's folklore that goes along with this, but this was also made into a hymn, and apparently this was written by St. Patrick. It's a prayer, it's a hymn, and I want to read it tonight, and I want you to listen to the words. And I tell you, if we could live like this hymn says, I believe we would see a great revival. Every day, living this prayer out. This is what it says. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth with his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection with his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today through the strength of the love of cherubim, in the obedience of angels, in the service of archangels, in the hope of resurrection to meet with reward in the prayers of patriarchs, in the predictions of prophets, in the preaching of apostles, in the faith of confessors, in the innocence of holy virgins, in the deeds of righteous men. I arise today through the strength of heaven, the light of the sun, the radiance of the moon, the splendor of fire, the speed of lightning, the swiftness of wind, the depth of the sea, the stability of the earth, the firmness of rock. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, 
God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptation of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill afar and near. I summon today all these powers between me and those evils against every cruel and merciless power that may oppose my body and soul. Against incantation of false prophets, against black laws of pagandom, against false laws of heretics, against craft of idolatry, against spells of witches and smiths and wizards, against every knowledge that corrupts man's body and soul. Christ to shield me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come to me an abundance of reward. And here's my favorite part, how this closes out. And I really think this would probably go right along with Paul's mindset. It goes along with his, and I hope it goes along with yours and mine tonight. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Oh, I'll tell you, you could pick out the green this Friday if you want to. But when I think of St. Patrick's Day, I'm going to think about having Christ with me, in me, beside me. And I hope when people look at me, they see more than green. I hope they see the Jesus they saw in St. Patrick. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood it. I hope you know that you too can make a worldwide impact just like St. Patrick. Have a happy St. Patrick's Day and great weekend. And we'll talk to you Sunday.